making sense of it all. Helping you gain insight and take control of your wealth creation journey. Hello listeners and welcome back to Making Sense of It All, where we talk all things wealth creation, from money management to financial freedom and everything in between. My name is Joe Brooks. I'm a director here at Vincent's within our financial advisory division. And I'm all, as always, joined by my guest host, Brett Griffiths. How are you, BG? Going well, thanks, Jared. How about yourself? Excellent. Thank you very much. So, agenda today, we're going to do a listener question. Yes. Just the one. Just the one. It's a big one, but just the one. Our in-depth discussion this month is covering aged care, and our special guest is Kerry Darton, who is an accredited aged care specialist. The world of aged care is quite complex, so Kerry will cover the ins and outs of aged care, including the range of alternatives, so some preconceived ideas of what aged care actually is, and she busts that myth. Yeah, you're a master of understatement when you say it's a complex area, Jared. Yeah, so Kerry holds a great conversation, gives us a detail about what our options are in um, sort of after that retirement phase and what retirement truly looks like yep. and the funding that may be needed. So really sort of gives us some insight on the, those preconceived ideas and goes, okay, here's your options. Yeah, I know I certainly learned a lot from it, Jared. Yeah. And as always, Michael Lee would join us for his wine review and then we'll have an economic summary from Kenneth Beanland, investment advisor of Morgan's North Key. So running into the Christmas period, reporting season done, he'll give us a bit of highlights of what's going on in the uh, election. Yeah, Fantastic. Excellent. Well, let's dive into it. So, Brett, big question here from our listeners. Yes, Jared. Super contributions, super contributions versus saving and investing personally. Oh, perfect. You can sit on the super side. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll sit on the investment side. So, well, of course, they should put it into super. <laughs> exactly. Of course, they should save personally. So, talk to us. What is the pros and cons of superannuation, especially as someone who is a wealth accumulator? So, young, um, obviously, we, we can't consider personal pr- circumstances. Provide yep. personal advice here. So, we haven't considered this individual's personal circumstances, but let's talk more broadly about the advantages of super and then the advantages yeah. of investing personally. Look, and, and Jared, I think you've sort of you pre-framed it right there when you talk about being a younger person. Really putting extra money into super, my perception is really more of about um, access. So financially, it makes sense to put it into super if you don't need to access the money. Yep. So I make a dollar, anything I put into super? Yep. You can get a tax deduction for it by putting it in. Um, you will pay you'll um, pay less tax inside super than what you will personally, more than likely. So it makes sense financially. The downside is that all those incentives from a tax point of view means you can't access it until you turn 60, maybe 65. So that's the disadvantage in it. So when I say that being a younger person, it's more likely they will need access to that capital at some point in the f- before they reach. Yeah, 60, so 65. that's probably the key from my side is maintaining financial flexibility. Yes. So I can guarantee you there's going to be the purchase of a principal place of residence or the purchase of an investment property or holidays or education expenses, all these aspects that a dollar that's put into super can't be accessed and used to fund those other aspects of life. Yeah. I 100% agree, Jared. But the downside is, as you would well know, our system is now designed that you need to be contributing in your mid-20s so you actually have a reasonable amount in retirement. Well, the compound effect of putting a dollar in super at 19 or 20 years of age and what that dollar would look like at 65 exactly. would be huge. Yes. So, so some massive advantages there of actually saying put it into super. Yeah. So the system is designed for that with our with the caps and the restrictions that we have in getting money into super. They Essentially, they are making you make that decision earlier. So when I say they, the government, are making that decision um, that you have to make earlier but yet you don't really have the financial resources to want to squirrel away money for later on because you want to have a, a lifestyle now. So it's it's a real um, difficult question because the right outcome isn't necessarily the right outcome, if that makes sense. Yeah, and the, basically my understanding of that is every single individual's circumstances are different. Yeah. Depending on your age, where you are in your wealth creation journey. Definitely. When you want to achieve financial independence – i.e. if you need to achieve or want to achieve financial independence before you can even access super, you clearly need to grow personal wealth. That's right. And wealth in your own name, I should say, yeah. really. So at the end of the day, 
there is no perfect answer to this. No. It's a massive balancing act between maintaining that financial flexibility of saving personally and being able to access those funds as you need for other life um, events that might take place. And secondly, putting money into super and having the, the effects of compound grow over until 60, 65 years of age. So balancing between those two is tough. But again, that's where you've got to look at your personal circumstances, your individual goals, and yep. make that decision. Spot on. Excellent. All right. Well, I think we could nearly have covered a whole ep- uh, episode <laughs> on that, but I think that's a brief wrap. Yeah, I agree. All right. Let's dive into our in-depth discussion for the month. Let's do it. So this month, we are covering aged care, and it's quite timely on the back of our last episode, which was on financial independence and retirement after the fact. After the fact. So yeah. it, it's not one of those things where retirement starts and then that's how you see at the end of the days until ultimately, I suppose, we end up in the grave. But so today we're joined by Kerry Darton, who is an accredited aged care specialist. Welcome, Kerry. Thank you, Jared. Kerry. Hi, Brett. How are you? Going well, going well. Yeah, Kerry, no need to be nervous. <laughs> Here today to chat about all, your favourite topic. All friends. <laughs> every, every chance you get, you uh, spark a conversation about the topic of aged care. So we know you've got an incredible passion. So can you give us a bit of background on yourself? Okay. So I've worked in financial services probably longer than most of your audience have been alive since the <laughs> 80s, <laughs> which is a bit embarrassing. But um, And I've been working in financial services for most of the, since about 2000. Um, I got into aged care partly because of my grandfather who um, lived to 100. And to 100? Yeah, wow, passed away is. earlier this year, but amazing. That's impressive. Um, so he... He had to go to aged care not because of his needs but because of my grandmother's needs and I just saw the struggle that his siblings, his children and their had to deal with. So um, it was a very complex system to enter into and um, I just, there were so many competing things from a family perspective as well as navigating the system and so I sort of thought it shouldn't be this hard for yeah. people and um, so I just started looking into it a bit more and now I've done my accreditation with um, Aged Care Steps and I've done my master's elective in the subject yeah. and talk about it all the time like you know, yeah, Jared. Exactly. <laughs> and I think it's important to note you do specialise in this space. As you said, there is there's a lot of different moving parts and we deal with a regulatory environment which seems to be consistently changing around the aged care. And I think currently, is it finished yet or there's a Royal Commission? There's a Royal in Commission. The, um, the findings of the Royal Commission haven't come out, haven't come out yet, yet. Yep. but um, we have gone through that. Um, and you're right, the only thing that's constant in aged care is change. It's yes. changing all the time. Um, it's a very emotive area. Um, there's lots of media around bad aged care, but there is also a lot of um, good aged care out there. And I sit across from people who are struggling with caring for someone in the home and the last thing they want to do is admit that they can't care for that person, but there is a great need for them to have 24-7 care. But there's more to aged care than just that final phase of yeah, aged care. Yeah, that's right. And I think all those moving parts tied in with emotional aspect of the aged care, it, it's a really tough conversation to have. But then about the emotional aspect, about where to put our parents or something along mm. those lines. But to then to try and understand the complexities behind it, you need to be able to resonate and bounce off someone about what my options are out there. So I suppose that's what you do? Yeah, so we look at um, quite often decisions aren't necessarily a financial decision, but understanding those financial implications of your decision is really important because not only are you making a decision about care, but you are interacting with systems like legislative systems such as Centrelink. And so a decision couldn't actually mean that you receive more or less age pension. So it's impacting on your cash flow, it's impacting on your fees. Um, and there's a lot of things that um, about exempt assets or um, timing of going into aged care all impacts how much it's going to cost. Um, but sometimes those decisions don't come down to a cost decision, but it's understanding what that cost is. Because it is a very complex system and how it all essentially interacts with each other. And my perception is that creates a lot of barriers 
to entry essentially mm-hmm. for people because they just don't understand. Yeah, um, I think you have a lot of um, you have a lot of legacy too. Like a lot of um, people say, oh, I can just look it up on Google. Well, Google isn't your friend, like <laughs> yeah. aged care, and your friends and family often will go, Oh, yeah, I know exactly what happened. Grandma went into care ten years ago. Well. Legislation changed significantly in July 2014. Right. And so things that happened in the past and the experience of people in the past is not the experience now. So quite previously, um, the cost of your accommodation was called a bond. Now we call mm-hmm. it a RAD or a RAC, which is a refundable accommodation deposit or a refundable accommodation contribution. In the past, you basically lost most of your bond. Yeah. Now the payment that you pay towards your accommodation, um, the RAC or the RAD, um, is refunded to the estate as cash. So Yeah, so I think that's a huge element there. It's like someone, especially my generation, has looked at the aged care and seen grandparents go into it and think, oh, dad talks about, oh, they went into this facility and part of the inheritance that may have come about due to that process has now disappeared and vanished. I think that legislative change that took place back then has certainly changed the way in which the estate planning process will play Um, out. And it's not, you've got to be aware too that it's not all aged care. Um, It's Commonwealth legislated aged care has the guarantees and returns those funds to the estate. So that comes down to actually understanding what you're entering into. So aged care has a Commonwealth legislation level. Um, If you are going into a retirement village or a lifestyle village, that's state legislation. And it's very different, but they're starting to use the same terms. So it's understanding, I suppose there's key things. You've got to understand the financial implications, but you've also got to understand what you're entering into. And I'm not saying one is bad or one is good. It's just about understanding what you're entering into and what those actual costs mm. are. During the Royal Commission, Kerry, I heard the the notion that we had like private aged care and essentially Commonwealth aged care. Is there a difference in how like the RADs and the, the RACs work? Um, or? So when you're looking at aged care and the, um, the facilities that have government support. So they are contributing to your costs. Um, they're, con- sorry, contributing to the the fees that you, that you, um, that it costs to have you in care. Mm-hmm. Um, I get asked all the time, is it better to go into a church-based facility or go into a private facility? What I say to people is you, it's a personal choice. Um, and I, and There's a lot of commentary around what's better or what's worse, Um, but I tell people go to the facility. If you're thinking about putting your parents somewhere or you're thinking about putting a partner somewhere, go to the facility. They have open days, but also make an appointment or drop in. Go around meal times. Have a look at what the meals look like. Have a look whether the curtains are open and there's sun coming into the room. Just you get a sense of when you go into a facility, what it feels like. And they're not all hospitals now. Like there's some amazing um, aged care facilities out there. Um, we see a lot of bad on the, in the media, but there is also a lot of nice places. Um, but it also, it comes down to a personal choice of, for me, when I go into some facilities, I think this is actually quite a nice place, you know, and I wouldn't mind putting someone here. And if you've putting somebody into care, you are usually going and visiting and spending a lot of time there as well. And so it's got to be somewhere that you're comfortable with and that yeah, you... That's a good point. And so I say smile at the staff, see if they smile back, engage with the um, residents and see if they're happy. You know, you will maybe get somebody who will grumble, but, you know, you can sort of yeah. tend to just have a look on the notice board, make sure that the excursions aren't dated 2018 when it's 2020, you know. It's all well and good to go, oh, yeah, we had these great activities. We got a red cliff for a picnic, but that was October 2018. Just little things like that. Just it's about the feel. It's about um, what the staff are like. Like I think if you have happy staff around um, or people that are prepared to engage with you, then it's it shows it's a nice place to mm. be. No. But the mechanics sort of work the same though as far as the, oh, the funding? Oh, okay. yeah, sorry. No. Um, 
So from a mechanics perspective, if it's a um, if it's an approved aged care facility, um, they're all they've all got the same accreditation. Okay. Um, they have to publish their costs on the website, and there's four main costs when you go into an aged care facility. Um, so the accommodation cost is pub- published on the on the facility's website, but also on the My Aged Care website, um, and they can't charge more than their published rate. That so that's the first fee, which is like an accommodation fee, um, which sort of, if you think about it in the outside world, it's you either buy a home, rent a home. In aged care, you can buy a home, rent a home, or you can mm-hmm. buy part of the home and rent part of it. Okay. And so if you don't pay the um, published rate, you then pay at the moment the rate is 4.1%. It's like an interest-only loan on the portion that you haven't paid. You then have pay a second fee, which is a government legislation fee, which is um, like a daily care fee, um, which is $52.25 a day at the moment. Then you pay a means-tested fee, and that's based on how many assets and income you have, and it's a formula. And then the additional service fee is the one fee that isn't legislated under Commonwealth, and that is um, dictated to by the facility that you're going to. So I tend to see that range from either nothing or $20 to $110, I think, is the highest one that I've seen. But that um, is sometimes based on the services that are provided for a particular type of accommodation okay. or it may give you access to haircuts, glass of wine with dinner, menu choices and things. But that additional service fee, the fourth fee that we talk about, is set by the facility and is based on the um based on what you're choosing, yeah. and you should be able to elect in and out okay. of that. So optional extras, essentially. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. So that's all. That, that all sounds like it's to do with nursing homes or aged care facilities. Yeah. There's more options out there than just those. Yes, yes. Right? I'm glad you brought that up, Jared, because I was starting to think we were just talking about <laughs> the, um, and the, the final <clears throat> Phase of care where you need twenty four seven care is yep. that is yep. what we what is commonly referred to as an aged care facility. A lot of people will know it as a you know it used to be called traditionally it was called a nursing home. Yeah, well, I yes. suppose that, that's what I think yeah. of when I when so, I aged care. So yeah, when, whereas turn sorry to turn around on the other side, my grandma she's in a retirement I suppose facility. She owns her own house. We've, yeah. I've spent Christmases there for the last five years. She has a nice big home. It's a backyard. Now, all of us can fit in this house. It's yeah. it's a lovely spot. So, what's that? The tra- okay. <laughs> so traditionally, we called them nursing. When you say aged care, people think of the traditional nursing home, yeah. which is like a hospital style needing yeah. Yeah. care, high care needs. What we deal with um, uh, in our office is we talk to people about their age, aging care needs really yeah. um, and we talk not just the aged care facility which is the hospital style but we talk retirement villages, lifestyle villages, over 50s, over 55 lifestyle parks, granny flats um, and they are, there's different legislation for those like the retirement villages and lifestyle parks are state legislation, the aged care facilities are commonwealth legislation. Okay, so some of the variables. So there's a whole range of different options there. What are some of the key variables that you need to be thinking about on when making a decision on what you go into? Okay, so it comes down to um, I think the key thing is, is it a lifestyle choice or is it a care choice? And then it's a balance between? Then it's a balance between the two and then it's understanding you may be able to access care in a retirement village or a lifestyle park but it's not being subsidised by the government. You are paying for it. You can sometimes qualify for an in-home care package, which can pay for some of that care, whereas a aged care facility is Commonwealth legislated and is um, heavily subsid- your care is heavily subsidised. Um, if you are getting to the stage where... So traditionally people talked about retirement and you go we go to a financial planner and they say how much do you want to retire on yep, and I, need, like, I need sixty thousand dollars a year and I need it from now until till, my ultimate demise yeah so and it'll be a straight line graph that you're talking to about and it may be 60 grand increase by CPI over I think I'm going to live 
to life expectancy in 20, 25 years or yeah. 15 years, whatever the, whatever that thing is. Um, and that's a traditional way of thinking about retirement. I think more now there are far more options for people who are in retirement. And I think there's three main phases of retirement. There's that initial phase where you first retire, you're really active before COVID, you wanted to do lots of international <laughs> travel, you know, and you'd often buy a new car and get the new fridge and, you know, do all those things that yep. you've been working all your life and so you deserve that car for your retirement yep. and things like that. So that's like the first 25% of your retirement. Then you have the next 50% of your retirement, which is the quiet, you're starting to quiet down. Sometimes you have grandchildren turn up and you want to be more domestically based and um, around for the family more, but you're also you've done your few overseas trips or you've You've done some capital expenses. You've already triggered those. So expenses must then reduce over that expense. So it's more like instead of a straight line, you've got a smiley face. Yeah. So you got higher expenses at the beginning. They start to flatten out. And then in the last 25% of your retirement, you've got um, increased medical costs, but you've also got loss of independence in as much as you probably don't want to be mowing your lawn and you don't want to be cleaning your house. And so you start getting that help in. Yeah. Um, and there are, you can access government assistance for that. It's the Commonwealth Home Packages. Um, homes, sorry. And that's what you've referred to as your frailty years, is those yeah. times where there's a higher capital expenses due to medical yeah. conditions and things changing. And then you've got, um, you know, you can get, you can get, um, in, in home care. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's where a lot of people's perception is, I've got my family home, I think that I'll be here until the day I pass away yeah. and with my myself and my wife and we're going to be in the family home and we've communicated that with our kids. Yeah. I reckon that's what is from your perspective, is that what most people? Most people think that. In yeah. the last two years of doing aged care, I've had one person put up their hand and go, hey, I want to go to aged, I want yeah. to go to aged care. Everyone wants to stay in their home. Of course. Mm. The reality of it, if you look at the percentage of the people who are accessing the Commonwealth Home Support Packages, the in-home care packages and residential care, you're looking at, you know, roughly 20% of people in that, accessing that care in residential homes. In homes. So really the vast majority of people are actually due to their health needs and their support requirements are having to actually access other levels yes. of care in facilities and yes. things. And then you've got 10% okay. of people who in that category who ha- are getting their home care packages, but um, home care packages is based on eligibility and having an assessment done. There's three levels of packages and they're one, two, three and four. At the moment, you're looking at 12 to 18 months to get get a level three or four package. The government, I think, in the last budget announced just over 10,000 additional packages. There's over 100,000 people on the national queue. So, yeah. so that's where it becomes tough because, okay, so I talk to my parents and I say, well, what do you want? They're living on a prop, cattle property. They're out there and I can guarantee you they don't want to be <laughs> anywhere else no. but, on the, but on the farm. Yep. Yeah. So there's going to be wanting to have that level of support and I could only imagine what uh, a lot of the scenarios that end up playing out is that kids end up having to provide that level of support of going around and dropping off groceries and that burden that starts to come with that and whether that's shared across two or three kids, yeah. are they in within proximity to the family home that they can actually do that? Yeah. It becomes tough. And mm. I call those informal carers. Yeah. So they're not paid, they're not subsidised by the government, they're informal carers. They're you know, dropping over after after work to help your parents or doing the washing on the weekends and things like that. Um, and that that scenario works well, but if it's not always the person who is being cared for that um, ends up having an issue. Sometimes it's the informal carer. Yeah, yeah so mm-hmm. it's actually me going around and if I have something happen to me, if is that you, what you're saying? Well, if you were to have a child... Yeah, yeah, okay. You know, now I've got to, to support the family. <laughs> yeah. You have to be at home helping at home. Yeah. You don't need to be going and helping your exactly. parents. So it's all that like you have all these systems in place and you think, yep, I want to be at home. The parents want to be at home yep. and you're helping by doing their shopping or 
going and assisting by mowing the lawn and stuff and then changes happen in your life as the informal carer and you've got demands from other parts of your life and so they have to access care and it does ideally staying in your home would be the ultimate the ultimate yeah, that'd be perfect but even if Jared wants to go on holidays yeah he has to come up with other arrangements or gets promoted and moves into state. Like there's so many things that can happen that it's not necessarily the person who's in the home that needs to have a fall or a medical issue and it's not always a bad thing that happens. It may be Mm. that a single person has been helping their parents and they get married and I was gonna say often it's probably the grandkids as much as anyone else fulfilling that role, I would have thought, because they've probably got more free time. Yeah. Yeah. So then I suppose that's where it's important to ask, when should we start having these kind of conversations? I think that you need to have the conversations early. And that's why um, one of the things that we talk about is um, it's really easy to ask people how their job's going, how their kids are going. It's about going, well, where are your parents at? What's their retirement journey like? Yeah, and flipping that family tree yeah. conversation. Um, and it's about making sure that you don't want to wait for a crisis, you don't want to wait for a dementia diagnosis and they don't have capacity to put in powers of attorney or document appropriate wills and things like that. So you need to be having the conversations. And people don't like having the conversations, but what I try and say to people is just because you have the conversation doesn't mean you have to end up in an aged care facility. It's about understanding what your eligibility is, but it's also helping you be part of that decision whilst you have the capacity to make the decision. Yeah, so that's right. Communicate with me what kind of lifestyle you yeah. foresee in the future. What flexibilities or what did you find important? I think that's and, an element of it. And I often will have a sister and a brother who are trying to deal with what they're going to do with their parents. Yeah. And it's like, well, mum would have wanted and they and you can tell there's a difference in understanding of what that is. Well, it's a massive decision. You're deciding about where someone lives and resides. Yeah. And yeah. Where that is is a huge impact on lifestyle. Yeah. But not only that, but if, say in your case, Jared, if your folks don't want to leave the farm, then you know that already. So you're pre-framed in your own thinking. But if they need to, then I'd imagine the emotive around that is massive. Yeah. yeah. And presumably, Kerry, you're probably having conversations with call it the parents and the kids, where the parents are saying we don't want to, but the kids are saying, I don't know if there's another choice. Yeah. And almost having to, I suppose, rationalise the, the, the two different thinkings. Yes. It, it, it's very, it's very um, emotive. Mm, um, it's also um, people are trying to do the best thing that they think is right. But one of the other big things is, Traditionally, rightly or wrongly, you know, dad's been the head of the household. Dad has been the income earner. Dad has made the decisions and now all of a sudden you are making decisions for him. So if you have those conversations up early, it's you understand where he's coming from and what he wants. Yeah. Well, particularly if if things like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's are at their early onset because they're not thinking clearly. They get muddled really easily. So that would make it even harder. And the other thing that happens is that quite often as a unit, two people can live very effectively together and mask some of those symptoms. Mm. So, you know, mum will remind dad of something or dad will be doing more of the grocery shopping and things like that. Um, I'm sounding very sexist at the moment, like the the stereotypical. No, but I can guarantee you it's exactly what you're saying there. It's like my grandma, she had nothing to do with it. She'd go down to the grocery store and she just knew she took out the card and she'd tap it and then that was job done. Yeah. Where the money come from, how it got there and how it all come about, she had no idea. So when granddad passed away, the process of going through and understanding, all right, what's your financial position look for? How do we actually pay your grocery bills? Yeah. That was a a learning curve for her at that point in life. It was like, oh, this is just too much. And it's something that they haven't had to deal with or they don't want to deal with or or they have been in total control of that. They are the masters of their own destiny. And all of a sudden you're saying, oh, but I know better Mm. for you. Um, And getting back to sometimes – it's it's around the you think that they're doing okay 
And um, what we find is often around Easter, Christmas, times like that, when you go into the house, you start to realise that actually things are starting to slip and I hadn't noticed. And going back to my grandfather, um, I remember looking back now and thinking, he stopped offering a cup of tea when you walked in the door. And like little things like that that you don't really notice, but he wasn't up to doing those things yeah. for you anymore. Um, and they don't they don't want to ask for help. Um, mm-hmm. No. And look, yeah, no, yeah. like, thinking about my situation, my father's what, 78 now, still in the family home. I'm sure he's never had another idea apart from that's just where he's going to be yeah. forever. That's, yeah, exactly and, right. And I pre-framing the discussion that I'll probably have with him after this is I'll talk to him about it and he'll just shut it down thinking, oh, but that means I'm getting old. I don't want to think about it. Yeah. It's like people doing wills because oh. they immediately think, oh, it means I'm going to die. But yeah. it's not the case. Not. So can you help about- in that situation as in you step in as a third party and be like, all right, here are the yeah. options and it doesn't need to be what you're perceiving yes. yeah. aged care gain looks like. And that's where using a third party is often yeah. helpful. So like I'll say to people, you need to get your parents to have an ACAT assessment. An ACAT assessment assesses your eligibility to access in-home care, residential care, respite care. Just because they're going, they don't want to do it, but just because they're going to do it, we're not pushing you in there, into it. We're in we're assessing eligibility. Having the discussion about um what they want to do doesn't take that power away from them and it doesn't mean that it has to happen but it just means that you have options and you know what your options mm. are um and it is that third part uh, with the ACAT assessment I'll often say to people don't suggest it yourself the GP can suggest it phone your father's GP and say Next time dad's in, I'm starting to get a bit worried about whether he's coping as well and I think he needs an ACAT assessment and get the GP to make the suggestion because it comes far better from you. And if there's a discussion that needs to be around about how do we structure things, what do we do from a financial perspective to if something happens and, you know, all of a sudden you're one household and now you have to be funding two households because you've got one in care and one at home, have an have a third party, an advisor who can have those conversations. So it's not you saying, Hey, I don't think you can look after yourselves anymore and what are we going to do about this? It's about having that, you know, let's let's try and do some planning around this. Let's have a have a have have a backup so that if something happens, you don't want to be um talking to a financial advisor or looking, talking to the bank and trying to work out all that. If something happens and they have a fall and they're in hospital, you want to be spending time with them in hospital and supporting mm-hmm. them that way or supporting. Yeah, the financial aspect is the yeah. last thing you want to have to be worrying about. And so it, it's all about having those conversations up early so that you can then, if a crisis does happen or, um, and look, longevity and people are living longer. Oh, we're an aging population. The statistics on it is you can't disagree. We are the medical advances that are taking place. We are an aging population and we're going to be using more and more of these different services. We need our awareness to be improved about what that looks like because inevitably the numbers speak for themselves. People don't aren't able to just stay at home forever in the day Mm. and that be the final place. So you've got to know about your options. And I think the other aspect there is also knowing the financial component of how how my parents will be able to cover it, but if it's going to be a financial burden on my side of it or do I need to be looking at funding for myself to help them. Yeah. 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 Selling the family home probably comes into it as well and all those sort of just. Decisions and discussions need to be had around it too. And look, one of the knee-jerk reactions is sell the home. Um, Selling the home often means that um, because it's a capped asset for aged care fees perspective, it's an exempt asset for two years after you um, go into aged care. So it can impact on how much you're paying for your care and it can also impact how much age pension you get. So there's all of those things that you don't want to... What happens is there's a crisis that happens and you think, I've got to sell the home, I've got to do this. It's like have the, have understand what that looks like before the crisis happens because then you're in a better position to be making decisions. So, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and look, the other critical thing is making sure that um, you do have your powers of attorney in place because a lot of, um, I think I've, 
I think the stats over 50% of people who are in aged care have dementia. So mm. they don't have capacity to be starting to put powers of attorney in place and stuff then. Yeah. Um, and you as you know, as a young person, you've got you've got your financial plan. You want it to be set up and structured so that you're not compromising your financial plan and your financial future to take care of your parents, yeah, but you also want to be making sure that your parents are accessing the care that they need and the care and appropriate levels mm. of care. So, and, and and I suppose, Kerry, as much as anything, too, you know, you're talking about parents, but that can be grandparents too. Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. Like, I've we've got um, my, my grandfather lived to a hundred. Like, yeah, that's right. So you must have great grandkids then potentially <laughs> yeah, yeah. Being, being burdened. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, he's, we had his hundredth and there was great grandchildren and grandchildren and, you know, yeah. it's people are living longer mm. um, and medical advances mean that there are um, not necessarily a cure but there's medications that are extending your life. Yeah. Um, so it's. It's planning for that, um, and also, you know, sometimes it's you think that by you may be in a position to throw some money at the solution, but then that may mean that the pension stops or the fees yeah, increase okay. because that money is then classified as your money, as their money. Sorry, not yeah. your money, and that comes all back to how it's structured. Like the accommodation um, is re- the accommodation deposit is returned to the estate as cash. Mm. So once probate, you go through a probate. A lot of technical yeah. aspects. So, so I suppose, Kerry, is it almost like a will in some respects as you have your plan, but you should have should sort of review that every few years if you're not using it to make sure it's still relevant, current, and what the wishes are of everyone? I think it is really important. Um, one of the things that amazes me is at least every second or third person who we speak to um, there is major implications on will intentions on what's happened. Like you'll have um, a family home left to one sibling and an investment property left to the other, cash left to grandchildren. If you sell one of those properties to pay for accommodation in aged care, that money is then returned uh, as cash. And therefore so, that doesn't go align with the wishes of no, the will. and oh, you can no, potentially no. be writing somebody yeah, of out of the will. And then if you're the... Power, if you have power of attorney, how do you justify who you're writing out of the will? Like mm. it's so it's one of those things that it needs to be reviewed and you need to think about it. And I think because of the changes um, from 1 July 2017, it became very much a means-based system. So if you have the means, the government believes you should be contributing to your care costs Prior to that, it was very much a needs-based system. So if you were assessed as a high care need, then you had access to the system. So since the changes um, and the means testing, how you structure your assets and how you finance it is very important. Right. Excellent. Is there any other sort of myths and expectations where people come into you and their expectations is ABC and you're going, well, no. This is the way the world of aged care works and this is some things that really are eye-opening aspects to the aged care process Um, and conversation. I think one of the biggest things is that when people come in, they think that they have no options and one of the things that we find is that we can model three or four, sometimes five scenarios that gives them different options and sometimes one will be financially better off, but there'll be a sentimental reason. Maybe that you want to keep the family holiday home that for generations people have been holidaying at Brunswick Heads yeah. um, and you want, you don't want to sell that. Um, so it comes, I think, to answer your question, I think um, the key takeaways are that it's about understanding the system and unfortunately the system is very complex. Yeah. Yes. So bring in the third party <laughs> that specialises such yeah. as yourself into that conversation is oh, massively valuable. The amount of feedback we get from the clients that you have conversations with that just go the clarity on the back of that and just the potential options that are out there creates more lifestyle for me. Now it doesn't yeah. make it so confronting. And look, most people who come in, we have tears in the first meeting because everyone, they don't know what they don't know 
um, and they think that they have to do particular things, which sell the home, which is often, often that's a, a decision that we say defer that decision. Um, and by the end of the process, and we go through quite a lengthy process of talking through, you know, objectives and goals and what we're trying to achieve and modelling out the different scenarios, by the end of it, you can physically see the relief in people. Yeah, um, that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's really an amazing journey to go through with people um, and just helping them, like reality and what they perceive is often very different when they first come into the, into the meetings. It's about reducing that difference between where reality is and what their perception is and, and helping them understand that they do have options. Yeah. I think the key aspects here from my com- from the conversation today, which have been so valuable, is change the perception of what aged care yeah. is. It's, it's not the nursing home and that's the only option. So therefore, the next part is start the conversation now and get an idea of what my parents and then what my grandparents' expectations are and get everyone on the same page and be proactive rather than reactive to because the hope is then that will remove some of those emotional conversations rather than making a decision about should we sell the Brunswick holiday home that's been in the passed down for three generations versus something else. And if you pre-plan, um, you can certainly have a more favourable outcome. Yep. And look, there are sometimes people go, well, Dad doesn't want to sell the Commonwealth shares. He wants that to go to the next generation. Yep. And there's people that people will say things and you go, well, it didn't occur to me that that was going to be an issue, but yep. it's once you start having those conversations and why do you, why do they want that to happen or why do they want that particular child to have something over someone else? You know, it's it's a minefield, but yep. it's... But you can't do that without having the conversation. No. Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. And, and I start think, the conversation. Yeah. And, and I think as with most things, Kerry, talking to a specialist is really what matters because you can't be a generalist in in this space you've you've got to understand it with an intrinsic depth like you do yeah and look i i have um been in financial services and i've i understand the superannuation i understand the investments but i very much i try not to muddy the water when it Mm comes when somebody comes in and needs to talk about care options or change in lifestyle options in the later years of retirement because there's so much stress and emotion around that decision that I don't like to then put the layer of investment. So yeah. I refer that out to another specialist because it just it just adds that whole another level of do we do this or do we do that? Yeah. It's like let's map out a plan forward, let's understand what what money is available to invest and then we deal with that at a different time. We don't deal with that when we're dealing with what are the options for care. And it's about we are not forcing you down this avenue. We are giving you the power to have the conversation and be part of the decision whilst you still have the capacity to have that decision. Yeah, excellent. Thank you so much, Kerry, for joining us today. That's okay. Thanks for asking me. Thanks so much, Kerry. Okay. Bye. All right, we've got Michael back in the podcast booth. Hey, Michael. G'day, guys. How are you? Very good. Doing well. What's on the uh, wine review this week? Um, well, keeping with our uh, our recent sort of thing, where whereas previously, you know, I sort of just went in and pulled out a favourite out of the. I thought we'll do some stuff that's a little bit different. Uh, try some different wines and some, you know. Something completely different than just Shiraz, Shiraz, Shiraz. <laughs> um, so this one is from uh, the Lily Pilly Estate. It's called the Noble Blend 2017. Um, it's from the Riverina region, uh, New South Wales. Um, came across this one on a Qantas flight. That must have been a while ago. <laughs> Uh, it was. <laughs> and I think it's going to be a long time <laughs> before I get back on one. Um, so, yeah, I came across it on the, this Qantas flight and I sort of – I didn't sort of mind it too much. So after that I Googled it and um, sure enough you could get it on the Qantas wine website. <laughs> so that's eventually where I got it. So as you can see, she's only a 375. Um and uh, it's about thirty-two bucks for the three seventy-five. 
Getting Which, in the, how's that price range, Brett? Yeah, suddenly you've been, a bit heavy for me. <laughs> well, it's not a bad price for this type of this type of you know this type of uh, this type of wine. So, as I said, it's from the Riverina region. So that's in it's actually in uh, Leeton in New South Wales. Don't know if you know where that is. No. It's sort of west of Canberra, um, sort of north of Albury Wodonga. Oh yeah. Everything lately has been Albury Wodonga, hasn't it? I don't know. <laughs> it's like the centre of the world or something. You know? um, and the thing to understand is what why this wine works particularly well um, is that area sort of it's um, sort of a semi-arid sort of area um, has cool nights, damp in the mornings. Um, mm-hmm. So that sort of in this sense for these gra. This particular type actually is why it, why it works well, and why it works well is that it, it's actually the perfect uh, perfect conditions to try this uh, botrytis, which is actually a fungus that grows on grapes. Right there, you go. Um, so. What that does is it actually dehydrates and shrivels the grape. Like a sultana. Sort of, yeah. Like a raisin, <laughs> like a sultana. They don't let them get that far, I don't think. Need some liquid in there. Um, yeah, but the, uh, the whole thing about it is that, you know, that's not good for any normal sort of wine. But what this does is it concentrates the sugars and the flavours. Um, and this particular... You know this fungus. They actually give it another nickname, which is noble rot. So you'll always normally find a lot of these particular dessert wines or stickies, sticky mm-hmm. wines, um, have the name noble, oh, as okay. this one does. Noble blend two thousand and seventeen. You probably heard of um, noble one, which is a very famous. Right up and get this look. <laughs> what are you talking about? If I say yes. <laughs> we'll play along. Yeah. <laughs> but you'll normally find a lot of these have that name, Noble. Okay. Um, and that's know, due and to this noble, noble rot. The process. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's just have a look. Uh, interesting looking bottle. Uh, it's a bit funky on that little uh, that bit there. But this is a blend of a Sav- Savion Blanc. And musket grapes, so that's what the the grapes that are in, in this are. And look, if you just I've poured some of these here, just if you have a look at that, and just have a look at that hue, it's just like orange gold. Mm-hmm. It's it is just yeah, orange gold. Um, now, who wants to? Jared, you want to try? Yeah. Let's I've, this this nose to me it's just full citrus, um, you know it's it's all the usual it's you know yeah it's just citrus. Um, perhaps with as is always the case I just smell it for some reason vanilla. I don't know what it is about vanilla but I can just smell vanilla wherever it happens to be. Um, now just as far as this that the taste is concerned. So I'm getting, you know, this has got apricots. It's got a a gingery, you know, that candied ginger that you can buy. Yes, yep. that's that's Taking what it, that's there, yeah. that's what that's what the that sort of taste to the whole thing, and it's really, if you ask me, it's rich. It's a really rich sort of, um, rich sort of flavour, um, and on the palate, look, it's. You know, it's fresh, sweet. Um, you get a little bit of acid just at the end, and it's and it's relatively crisp. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm sort of thinking. Um, I think it probably just needs a little bit more time to sort of concentrate a little bit more. I'm not sure how many years this thing's got left in it, but you know, I think if if you give this another three odd. Three odd years, you'll probably get some really rich sort of flavours out of it. 
And so uh, there's more of a dessert wine or? Yeah, dessert yeah, wine. It is yeah. Just yeah. specifically for that. The yeah. problem with this stuff is that if you get a taste for it, 375 is going to go pretty quick. Very good. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's, it's like lolly water. <laughs> um, yeah, so there you go, guys. Um, like I said, I'll try something each time a little bit different. But yeah, very This important. one was uh, this was one that uh, sort of took my eye because I hadn't been on a Qantas flight for about, I don't know, almost seven, not well, it, since March. So anyway. Yeah, there you go. All right, guys. Thanks. Thank you very much, Michael. Thanks, Michael. Catch you. Till next time. time. Bye. All right, and we welcome Kenneth Beanland, investment advisor from Morgan's North Quay, back into the podcast booth for uh, an around the ground. Welcome, Kenneth. Thanks for having me back, guys. Cheers. Yeah, really well, thanks. Yourself? Yeah, going well, going well. So, Kenneth, what's happening out there in uh, Australia, broader, economically wise? What's well, I going think on? over you know the last couple of months there has been some um, you know, pretty big announcements. Um, last time that I was in, we were talking about you know reporting season and the different sectors that we were favouring. Since then, we've had the federal budget, and you know I'm not sure if your listeners are aware, but one of the biggest budget deficits ever um, since since. 1945, post-war. Long um, time ago. Very, very long time ago. Um, And in our view, it's it's almost a structural change uh, because I can't in living memory remember uh, a government being so applauded for... For spending money. (laughs) For for having this sort of deficit. Um, So this... And we think that this isn't going away. This is around the world as well. So you look at what's happening in the US at the moment, you know, fighting over a $2 trillion Yes. surplus um, the stimulus, stimulus package, package yeah. uh, you know the European Union while they clearly have different fiscal uh, responses all are trying to pump money into their economies and that's that's on the fiscal side on the on the monetary side again huge liquidity injections from reserve banks so in our case the RBA um, this is all supportive for economic growth and when you're looking out at those forecasts for the next 12 months you know, Australia's targeting a 4.5% GDP uplift. That's mm-hmm. huge. Mm. So anything cyclical uh, and and particularly exposed to uh, fiscal stimulus, so we've seen instant asset write-offs, um, pretty good for you know, potentially new cars and new car purchases, um, uh, infrastructure spend, so commodities, um, and that's more of a global um, story. If you look back at 08 and 09, huge global recession, what came out of it? Huge fiscal stimulus, particularly over in China, um, turned into one of the biggest um, commodity bull markets around. Yeah, so just quickly link that for our listeners is basically government spending on the infrastructure projects, therefore businesses that are building things such yeah, as roads and right. steel production. Big steel production for you know roads, like you said, um, buildings, whatever it is, tunnels. Mm-hmm. Um, that creates a, a very big demand pull on your commodities. Yeah, so it's iron the whole supply chain. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and it just so happens that Australia benefits from that quite substantially. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's that's really the big news that's been going on. Um, key event on the horizon is the US federal election in another couple of weeks. Um, looks like uh, a, a victory for Biden at the moment. No, yeah, we'll you never know. <laughs> I think last time it was it was supposed to be a victory for the Democrats as well. Yeah, that's right. Trump turned happen, it around. So. Um, I have heard a, a sneaky stat, um, unverified, of course, but uh, this: if Trump wins, it will be the biggest deficit in the polls that an incumbent president has overcome. Yes, I heard the same. Actually, so, wow. we'll find out. There you go. And a bit about the RBA. What's the going into uh, Melbourne Cup Day? There is chatter around a, a, a rate cut. Um, it won't be the traditional 0.25 of a percent, so 25 basis well, points. Given so, where we're sitting at the moment. That's right. It'll yeah. take us to zero. And they've, right. they've sort of ruled out negative interest rates in Australia. So where the, a lot of the institutional um, chief economists uh, forecast is sitting at is 0.1, so a 15 basis point cut. What that does, who really knows? I mean, you know, the difference between 0.25 and 0.1. What impact can it have? What, what real impact? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe around 
consumer confidence. And if you look, it's interesting, if you look at the actual um, cash rate that banks are lending to each other, it's it's beneath that 0.25 already. Yeah. And from the RBA's comments, uh, that's that's purposely done. Yeah. Well, I heard that the some of the major banks have had already priced in that um, 0.15 reduction last month, but they didn't get it, obviously. Mm. So, so uh, yeah, it might be a might be a a, a, a cup time rate cut. Yeah. which we'll see. And market wise, uh, where are we sitting? Fair value, above, below. Yeah, uh, slightly above our our target, but really, it's all. Arbitrary. I think over the last uh, really three months now, it's sort of been in a trading pattern. Uh, we got through reporting season in a fairly robust fashion, um, which we touched on before. Now it, it really comes back to seeing those those earnings that are forecast, trying trying to see them come into fruition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the market's just waiting to see how this Christmas and, and US uh, election plays out. Um, we'll get a very very good. Uh, picture about how things are travelling in February, uh, which is the half-year uh, reporting mm. season. And probably just an interesting commentary around IPOs and things. It seems to be had a big, pretty busy period at the moment. This has been one of the busiest periods that I've, I've, I've personally really? worked yeah. in. Yeah. So initial public offerings. There's been a lot of companies coming to market Want to raise capital yeah. and, uh, and secondary transactions as well. Um, a lot in the in the junior miners. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's there's just been an exceptionally busy time. Hmm. Um, obviously, the the window is open and and they're getting away. Uh, I mean, there's been some pretty successful ones floating about um, on some pretty incredible uh, valuation metrics. <laughs> uh, but you're right. It's um it's it's a super busy time hmm. for capital markets. I think what will be really interesting is when all the government stimulus starts to wind back here in Australia, what that will actually mean for businesses, like where are they placed? Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard literally half an hour ago that Victoria is starting to open back up their economy and retail businesses can now open and things like that. So a really good time for them coming into Christmas or for businesses coming into Christmas. But how is that actually? what does that actually look like post-Christmas when stimulus starts to come off and how does that translate into essentially business confidence for the next you know, 12 months? I think it will be fascinating to see. It's a really salient point. Um, I think that when we do see these borders starting to open up, which apparently they're going to by Christmas, like you said, Victoria's starting to open up, the question on whether that fiscal stimulus gets pulled or not in March and you know, early next year, um, I think will be dependent on that data. Yeah, I, don't, I don't foresee... The government, which is now getting applauded for deficits, yeah. um, pulling that if if there is this sort of almost fiscal cliff yeah. that the you can't just turn the tap off straight yeah. away, yeah. otherwise people will suffer yeah. from it. So interesting, mm. very interesting well, times. It'll be uh, good to hear back and check in with you next month, and we'll see how it's all starting to play out with the run into the Christmas period. Sounds mm. great, guys. Thanks, Thanks so much. Thanks, Gareth. Cheers. See you, mate. All right. How about that for an episode, BG? That was really enlightening. Uh, listening to the ca- the passion that Kerry has on aged care and the, the understanding that I now have because of it. Yeah, um, I, I can see clearly why she specialises in this area because she does have a, tr- a real passion for it. Yeah, and I've even had clients um, uh, deal with Kerry now on Centrelink. So even before aged care, dealing with um, yeah, the whole age pension and age uh, and the the senior healthcare card situation as well. Yeah. Even that's complex, so yeah. it's fantastic. Uh, we'll put Kerry's contact details in the show notes, so if you do want to reach out to her, um, all her contact information will be on the, the webpage. Um, just in closing out, I suppose, as always, for anyone, if you're listening on iTunes, please hit the subscribe button. That way you'll uh, get the updates of when we release new episodes. Five-star review, of course, oh, Jared. That would always be appreciated <laughs> if you're liking what you hear. And provide us any feedback. We're always looking to grow and improve um, what we're sharing with you and our listeners. So, along, along with questions as well. That's right. Keep them coming in. Website? Um, well, it's at vincents.com.au or email address is making sense of it all at vincents.com.au. Jeez, you get that every time. I get stuck <laughs> on that one, BG. So next month, we have a really exciting topic, this one. I'm, I'm pumped. So we're going to be smoking, speaking about and focusing on small business. Yep. So this is about turning on an idea 
into a business and what the complexities there, growth issues and all those sort of exciting topics. Yeah, I, I think it will be really interesting to get some insights into how people actually turn concept into reality. Yeah, really looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. Until next time, thank you very much. And remember, gain insight and take control. Thanks, BG. Thanks, mate. The information contained in this podcast should not be interpreted as advice. It is general in nature and does not take into account your individual financial situation or needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial decision, we recommend you consult with a licensed professional advisor to consider your unique circumstances. Guests appearing on this podcast may have a commercial relationship with the companies mentioned. 